And I'm Lisa. And this year we're gonna start this year with four very special episodes covering very special. Yeah. So this year we're gonna do four episodes on friendship. We're gonna start the first one um, with an interview that we did with Sister Judy Metz, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. She wrote a article called "The Key Role of Friendship in the Life of Elizabeth Bailey Seaton." And she focused on these different friendships um, beyond what we're going to do. And then we want to do three of Elizabeth's closest friends. So friendship was something that Elizabeth took very seriously. There's some thoughts, maybe because she didn't have her mother in her life. But um, and I think as time went on, her friends meant more to her. So we're going to discuss that with Sister Judy and go from there. I'm really excited because I think that Elizabeth always found her friendship to energize her and help her to make her the person that she was. So I'm excited about this season and we hope that you are too. Well, welcome everybody. Um, we have a very special guest today and her name is Sister Judith Mess, but we call her Sister Judy. <laughs> and I've had that, the pleasure of knowing you for what, almost 11, 12 years now, I feel, <laughs> um, a long time. But I feel like... Um, our relationship, as much of it was more of like a working relationship, I always felt like you were just someone I look up to, look for someone for information, and I just enjoyed your visit. But I feel like recently, probably in the last couple of years, like we seem to have grown closer, and we do look forward to you visiting and so forth. Because you just, I don't know, I always enjoy listening to you speak and share stories, and um, but. Lisa kind of came to me and said, oh, we should do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I know Sister Judy for all her, you know, infinite information and knowledge <laughs> on Elizabeth, it seems like. But I never had a chance to really understand who you are. You know, like, how did you become a Sister Charity? What is motivating you through life? And Which, I mean, I know Elizabeth always says that eternity in face her through life. But, well... You know, again, sharing the charism of charity and so forth. But um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of going on here. Lisa, you want to kick this well, off with your good start? I haven't known you as long as she has. Um, but yeah, in the last couple of years, I mean, you, um, when you come here, you're just, you are full of a lot of information, but you're also really kind to us. You know, very kind to us when <laughs> we make mistakes. And you're just like, oh, I think you should do it like this moving forward, which is good. Um, we learn a lot. Everyone looks forward to you coming. But um, yeah, we wanted to interview you because we want to hear your story. So you have been a sister for a very long time. 60 years. <laughs> 60 years. Oh, wow. Right. I know. She doesn't look that old. So where were you born and raised? Well, I was born in Cincinnati in um, the western part of Cincinnati. And I went to elementary school, our parish school, um, and then I went to Seton High School, which was about two miles away from our house. So that was when I first met the Sisters of Charity and got to know them. And um, I was just attracted to religious life, I think, and also to the sisters who taught at our school because they were very kind and uh, generous and kind of just regular people, really. <clears throat> and um, I think I was very fortunate because when I went to school there, uh, there was a sister who 
uh, had an organization called Mother Seeking Guild, and it was a volunteer organization that girls could um, participate in going out and volunteering, but she also was very intent on educating the students about Elizabeth Seaton. <clears throat> now, I think I was a sophomore when Elizabeth Seaton was made venerable. So there was a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and interest in her at that time. And um, so I feel like I learned a lot about Elizabeth Seaton even before I entered the community. And um, I always wanted to be a teacher. And of course, that was the model that I had there at the school. And so it was like, you know, this is a, this is a good place to go. The mother house of our community was only about five miles from my home. So it wasn't like a big journey across the world, you know, to enter the community. Um, so when I graduated from high school, um, I joined the Sisters of Charity. And it was really interesting because when I was first in the community, they didn't really talk about Elizabeth Seaton that much. Um, really? But I already, I felt like I learned more about Elizabeth Seaton from when I was in high school than when I first entered. Well, um, I mean, if, not to interrupt you, but it sounded to me that you were a student. You were basically a, a child, a youth, that you started learning about Elizabeth yeah, story and much. gotten into all the, the, I don't know, the the hustling, the bustling, and the excitement of uh, this woman right. becoming a saint for the right. Catholic Church. Yeah. I mean, there um, used to be essay, con the sister would have essay contests, or we, they would have like quiz programs, how many children did she have, can you name her children? Yeah. So you kind of, you know, got a sense of her life, and, um, you know, everybody in the school participated. So but see, I just wonder if that's exciting because we've all been wanting to kind of get people's feelings of well, what did it feel like to yeah. know that this woman was on that track to canonization? Yeah. Um, so, we got different perspectives, I feel like. So that was probably around 1961 is when I entered. And see, that was like right at the beginning of Vatican II. Right. And at that point, religious communities didn't focus that much on their own charism or anything. Okay. And they just were more focused on what was happening, what was, you know, or just their rule as it was written then. Mm -hmm. But see, then, they, then in 1963, when I was in the novitiate, is when Elizabeth was beatified. Okay. <clears throat> so that was a big hoopla uh -huh. in the community. and. I remember we all received um, a copy of Father Durbin's um, biography at that time. So, I mean, that was probably the first biography, per se, that I read of Elizabeth Seton at that time. But then the other thing that began to happen is because of Vatican II and uh, the document on religious life that came out of Vatican II, it really told religious communities to go back to your original charism. And so there was a lot of activity uh, committees and programs and things where we began to study the life of Elizabeth Seton uh, much more closely at that time. So I was really just a very young person in the community when that happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was a history teacher. That was always okay. my love. I always wanted to be a history teacher. And so, um, you know, I eventually graduated from college and went out and started started teaching and um 
in our community library, in our convent library, <clears throat> we had a whole shelf of books that were little monographs that had been written about different sisters in our community, like Sister Anthony O'Connell or people like that, and um, about Elizabeth Seaton and things like that. Well, I just devoured all that material. I mean, I was just really interested in the history of our community as well, not just Mother Seaton, but you know, all the sisters, Mother Margaret George and so on. And so um, I just was kind of slowly um, getting more interest and more in depth about understanding the history of the community. And um, so then I was teaching a course in community history at our high school in the early 70s. And uh, there was a focus at that time on local history. So um, I started, well, first I wrote a paper about our mother house and about our diocese and so on. But gradually, um, you know, I just read more and more things just out of my own interest, really, and uh, started giving programs at the high school, you know, about the histories, different things and so on. And then uh, in 1979, our community celebrated its 150th anniversary of being in Cincinnati. And so I decided, <laughs> I decided I was going to write this article and submit it to the local history organization, the Cincinnati Historical Society. They had a monthly bulletin that came out at that time and uh, see if I could get it published. Because we had a big reenactment and all kinds of activities at that time in Cincinnati. So I did get it published. That was, and I was like, I mean, I was like, I never imagined myself being a writer, you know, or, or thinking about doing research like that. I just was, you know, so this, this was from when they first went from here to Cincinnati. Yeah, 1829. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was fine. And uh, then after that, I left the school and I started working for the community. And the uh, one of the people on the council who was in charge of formation said, uh, well, would you um, teach the novices community history? So that was about 1980. <laughs> I started teaching every year the novices. And of course, then that gave me the reason to just get more and more in depth. I mean, I can remember when I first started teaching, I had all these notes about when Elizabeth Seaton did this or that, because I was trying to you know, remember all the different things. Cause was, I mean, it's one thing to read a book, it's another thing to, have to teach it. So um, I started doing that every year um, and got into a lot of more depth about Elizabeth Seaton with the sisters. And everybody was so excited about that because, I mean, they would just say, well, when we were in the novitiate, we never learned anything about all this, you know, because there just wasn't an emphasis on that in before Vatican II. So um, I got, got to go around all, to all the different places in the community and give these workshops and everything. Well, first of all, I was teaching the novices, and then the sisters said, well, we want to learn about all this. So then we started doing these, we called them heritage workshops. And I would go around the different places where the sisters were on mission and do all these programs and everything. And then um, mother, a friend of mine and I started working on Mother Margaret George. <laughs> and um, then we wrote the biography of Mother Margaret George, which came out in 1989, I think. And then um, 
but that just about that same time, the Federation, they had up to that time pretty pretty much just meetings of the leadership people. Now, after Elizabeth Seton was canonized in 1975, the Federation, this is my way of expressing it, but it was like, well, our whole well, focus has been to get Elizabeth Seton canonized, and now she's canonized, so what do we do? <laughs> you know, what's our next mission, <laughs> that, in a sense? Yeah. And so um, that's when they started to expand their membership beyond um, just the Seton communities, you know, to the Nazareth charities and groups like that. And so um, they started deciding by the mid to late 18, 1980s that um, they were going to have programs that the sisters could participate in. And so um, I was asked to be on the committee for that. Uh, so that was really the first time I uh, was on a committee or anything for the Federation. Actually, I should go back and say, uh, in 1975, which was the year of the canonization, our community decided uh, to, we had a director of retirement at that time, and he decided he was going to have a heritage bus tour for the community, for the older sisters that were part of his responsibility. They were going to come here and go to New York and see the Elizabeth Seton sites and so on. And um, I mean, I was a pretty young sister at that time. And all of a sudden, he called me up and he said, would you be the leader of this group? And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I guess so. You know, so he, uh, he had figured out the itinerary and everything. And so we went on this bus trip and um, we came here and. That was the first time I was ever here. And, um, in yeah. Oh, wow. You know, and it was really great. You know, I mean, it was like, wow. <laughs> so, what is... was your most memorable experience then? It just like, you know, again, you said you went to Seton School. Yeah. You grew up with Mother Seton, basically. Yeah. Just knowing her and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then going into her community, Sister Series of Yeah. Community. So now you're finally here as an adult and really spearheading about bringing 1975. Yeah. Well, I think the, yeah, and I think the community, I mean, just being here for me was like part of um, the whole canonization event, you know, which was huge. And I mean, a lot of sisters, not a lot, but seemed like a lot got to go to Rome, you know, yeah. for the canonization where there was no way I was going to go to Rome. So, um, you know, we, but our school where I was still teaching at that time, we had a huge celebration um, and uh, about the canonization and we had a big mass over in this football stadium next door and tons of people came and, oh, the kids, I mean, I was director of student activities, so I got to plan all the activities and I mean, we just, it was really neat. I mean, it was like the kids got so excited and uh, there was a parish that was um, about a couple blocks down from the school and every homeroom made a big banner. And then we had a, I don't know if you call it a parade or a procession, (laughs) but we went, all went down to the church and had a big mass, you know, for the uh, kids, uh, the students for the uh, celebration. And it was just, really special you know and i think 
kind of like every step of the way, I just felt like I got to know Elizabeth Seaton a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Um, but then I got involved with the Federation, and um, so I was part of this, it was called uh, Charity of Shared Vision. And we used to go around every summer to a different mother house and do this program. And each community would send like maybe 10 sisters to the program and so on. And it was so exciting to me to get to know people from the other communities. And in the meantime, we had done a couple other heritage of these bus trips, we call them heritage tours. And of course, we would always come here. We would go to New York, we would go to New Jersey, Greensburg. <laughs> and then one year in the mid-1990s, the sisters, <laughs> the sisters said, we want to go to Halifax. And I'm like, do you know how long of a bus ride it would be from Cincinnati to Halifax, Nova Scotia? No, no, we want to go. And I said, well, we'll take a poll. I'll send out like a straw poll. And we'll see who wants to just do a regular heritage tour and come, you know, around these parts, or who wants to go to Nova Scotia. Well, they all wanted to go to Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, here we go. Oh, so, um, you know, we came, uh, I don't know, some, we did it different ways. Sometimes we went to New York first and then came around this way, and sometimes we did it the other way. We always went to Baltimore, of course. And, uh, so we went up to Nova Scotia, <laughs> went to Halifax, we went to St. John, we went to Moncton. We thought, well, if we're going up there, we may as well visit all these mother houses. So we did all that. And, uh, but then in the meantime, as the, 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 so, I mean, I felt like I had gotten to know at least a few sisters in almost every one of the Federation communities, which was really important to me because it's just, um, everybody has the same spirit. And I think that that's something that uh, sometimes sisters, when they're just more isolated in their own community, don't understand that, you know, that we're all um, together. Um, anyway. Well, I was just wondering, though, like, you're talking about the spirit that you discover as, really, you're pioneering a new initiative with the help of the Vatican, too, coming mm -hmm. out, sure. putting more emphasis on knowing your history, knowing your heritage. And it seems like you really pioneered that effort around the community and taking them around and bridging the Federation members together. Yeah, I, I felt like it was really important. So how much of that did it resonate, help you to resonate just not only the connection that you felt in the present day, but the connection to all the sisters of the path that you never met, but you know their story because yeah. you're a historian. Well, see, like what I, yeah, because when we did this charity shared vision, I had written this talk that kind of uh, told, like, wove all the histories of all the different communities together. Right. So, like, that was the first talk that we gave in the whole program. And then the other talks that different people gave were, you know, more specific. But mine was just kind of to try to, um, create this idea that we all came from the same spirit and we're all really one community in, in a lot of ways. And so um, I had to do a lot of research to do that. But I mean, it just was some, um, so I kind of knew the stories 
uh, the founding stories, at least of all the communities, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, they're very interesting. So, um, so then after we did that charity shared vision uh, for a couple of years, um, they just, the federation decided they were going to have this. Um, what did they call it? A symposium or something, um, where they were going to invite scholars to write papers and then um, present them at like a symposium. And we, uh, and so I was invited to be on the committee for that. And uh, so Kathy Flanagan, I don't know if you remember her, but she and I did a paper together, or you know, on the history, uh, um, uh, more of the history, like with Mother Seton. And uh, then the other people, again, went into more depth, like on her spirituality and things like that. I mean, the proceedings of those things were published in the Ascension Heritage. Flanagan. Yeah. You're talking about Flanagan. Yeah. yeah, I think some of her articles. Yeah. So anyway, so then um, at that first symposium, all the, right, all the presenters got together and talked about how... Um, frustrating it was to try to do research on Elizabeth Seton because her papers were just scattered all over the place and it was hard to get access like to the letters or anything like that. Really what you had to do was to use the published biographies and take excerpts from Durbin or, or uh, Annabelle Melville or whatever and try to put things together that way. So the sisters who were the presenters at that symposium wrote a petition in a sense or a letter to the federation and they said <laughs> they said we think that we should publish the writings of elizabeth Seaton. the federation shouldn't do that <clears throat> so kind of you know how things like that go it takes a while but they got back to us and they said well that's a good idea and we'll support it so who wants to lead it <laughs> And nobody wanted, nobody <laughs> stepped up to lead it. And I, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I said to Regina, who I you know, knew pretty well by that time from all the Federation stuff. So and I said, yeah. So I said, um, I'll do it if you'll do it. <laughs> so we decided we would be the co-chairs of the Seton Writings Project. That was in 1992, 30 years ago that we started that and um so then what we wanted to do was get a person from each community of the six um seaton communities to be on the committee and so kathy flanagan was the one from new jersey and then um vivian uh, was the one from uh, pennsylvania and we had kind of trouble getting anybody from Halifax. Um, so we had somebody and then she quit and somebody else and nobody really stayed very long. So it wound up, um, well, then we needed a daughter. <laughs> and nobody knew any daughters very much. So um, I said, well, I knew Betty Ann because she was here at that time. She was like director of mission. I don't know what, exactly what her title was. She wasn't, it was before she was the archivist. Okay. And uh, I said, well, you know, I knew her, and I said, I know she's really interested in the history. 
Um, and so maybe we, I could, so this is what said, fine, you ask her if she'll be on the committee. And of course she said yes. And uh, so we had um, five of us. We just really, I mean, he had five people. And then um, Ellen Kelly, I don't know if you ever met her. I never met her. She never. did Nimbus Choirs, I think. She what? The Nimbus Choirs. Yes, yes, she's the one that wrote. She, she, she taught, um, can't be, <laughs> she taught at Loyola, I mean at uh, DePaul in okay. uh, Chicago, and she was um, a former daughter, and um, she was an English person rather than a historian, um, but she had taken an interest in the history of the community, and so she um, had written the numerous squires and so on, and so she was kind of like <laughs> involved, but not really part of the community. <laughs> she knew enough. <laughs> so um, that was another person that was involved. So we started, um, Regina and I really just started together and we, we tried, we started trying asking everybody to send us lists of what letters they had in their archives and so on. And, uh, you know, making lists and getting copies and so on. And uh, so, like, what? How how random were some of these letters out about? Well, we just you know we kept well, we knew the ones that the communities had for sure, but then you know some of these other places we just started contacting different places that we thought might have. Um, or, you know, material that was related to like the Archdiocese of Baltimore or kind of the um, collections of some of the priests that she dealt with and things like that. And it was just a matter of keeping on, keeping on, you know, in terms of trying to find these things. And then um, uh, for the most part, we had to transcribe them because, you know, every community, um, I guess it was pretty much when the Federation was formed of uh, Father Virgio, I think. Uh, he thought that every community should have some material, original letters of Elizabeth Seaton. So some communities just had that much of what they had. But then New York had quite a lot more, of course, just because of the location. And then we had more. I think I have this theory, this is unsubstantiated, but I think that when Mother Margaret George came to Cincinnati in 1845, she had material that belonged to, you know, that was from Elizabeth Seaton. Um, because some of the things that we have, we have no provenance on. We don't know why, you know, we have original letters, but we don't know where they came from. Yeah. I mean, we, we know which ones we got from the Federation, you know, uh, or from the Guild, Seton Guild, but the rest of them. It kind of seemed logical. Yeah. yeah. Sense, well, I mean, been. she was one of the original people. And, yeah. and, and Elizabeth Boyle took things to New York. Yeah. And it reminds me actually of something that I was just talking to you about the article you wrote on friendship. You mm -hmm. mentioned in there that she liked to write journals that she would give her friends yeah and so in some ways it would make sense that elizabeth might give them some of her letters maybe for inspiration or 
Well, see, we have a copy of the Italian journal, and we always thought it was an original. But when Ellen Kelly was doing some of her work, she came to our archives, and she said that um, she thought, and I think she's correct, that the journal we have was actually copied by Mother Margaret. But then she said, you can see and you can when you go through it. Mother Seton went through that journal and she made little like little notations in the, in the margins wow. and stuff, like maybe to correct something. So it's like goes back to the time of Mother Seton, but I don't think it's in her handwriting. Yeah. It's so important, and this comes from the JHIs too, just stressing to them the importance of the written word. Mm -hmm. And I think it was so interesting then that they would go back to people's letters or their own letters <clears throat> and they would tweak them later. It kind of reminds me of Father Brute with some of Mother Seen's early letters. He would write in the margins, she didn't really mean this. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here you are, again, like you really been in Mother Seed's life, but now you're at this point where you are literally holding the very letter that she held in her hand and her writing. Like, what kind of impact did it make well, after it what just, 30 years it of made, already? It made all the difference in the world. I mean, you know that yourself. It's like transcribing those letters and then trying to footnote them, which meant, of course, explaining or understanding all the innuendos or references that she was making. Who are these people? What was her relationship to them? What, what, what is she talking about here? Um, because some of the references are kind of obscure. Um, it, it just, but it also to me, more important than that, which just gives you a deeper and deeper depth of understanding her life, and her, I mean, the way she just expressed herself. I mean, she was so effervescent, you know, about her kids and her friendships, her love for her friends and so on. Um, it just made you feel like you really knew her in a, in a totally different way, you know, than just reading the biographies and, and so on. And um, just um, to share that, you know, among the five of us when we would meet, I mean, I. I often tell the story, but I mean, we would be s sitting there, all five of us, you know, pouring over, maybe trying to transcribe letters and stuff. And all of a sudden, somebody would burst out laughing. <laughs> and we'd say, oh, okay, what's, you know, and then they'd read this part of the letter, which, I mean, her letters are really cute. I mean, they're just funny. And, and some of the ways that she says things or the insights that she offers, and, and then we'd all, you know, oh, yeah, you know, that's really funny or cute or, you know, a bit, but, you know, to get to know somebody's like sense of humor, mm -hmm. what's going to amuse them, what's going to excite them. It's just totally different from reading biography, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah uh, I love her sense of humor. Like, she really... I know. She, and she's one of those people that she says something and you're like, what? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <Right>? Really? <laughs> I mean, she really said <laughs> that. Did she just I mean, <laughs> I can't Again, she's yeah. Again, yeah. like you said, it makes her more human. So yeah, how, I mean, so it's, how many years was this podcast? Well, for you? we started in nineteen ninety two. The first years were just more collecting, but I mean, we used to um, get together as a committee, or well, maybe three or four times a year during the nineties, 
And um, often we would come here because this is where the bulk of the letters are. Sometimes we would come to Cincinnati. And um, it just, I mean, we all had other jobs, you know, so it just was time, it, you know, it was things. And so somehow um, I wound up with everything on my computer. <laughs> and so, you know, and Regine and I, you know, tried to do the work of like the final putting it together and everything. And uh, the, first, the first volume, I think, was published in 1999, wasn't it? So that's like seven years that we just worked. And that was only up to the time that she left New York. <laughs> Yeah. And then, um, you know, we just kept going. The other volumes came out quicker because, I mean, the letters, the letters, of course, were the hardest, you know, because you had to go through and decipher, I mean, even just the transcriptions. I mean, Bonnie was a tremendous help, too. She and Selim, Mary, uh, Mary the, Do they really do go way oh back? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't oh, realize yeah. they went I mean, that way back. Bonnie was like wonderful. I mean, she's really good. She knows that stuff. But just to clarify, so Bonnie is um, like an assistant with the Daughters of Charity Provincial Archives. And I too have known her for just as long as I have. And yeah, you she's... keep one where Lisa and I would just go right to yeah and like hey and she just knows it like that's yeah, like it's absolutely. just me she's um, she's um yeah and she's so helpful and you know one yeah. cooperative i mean she's always willing to help you so i mean i don't know without those people it would have taken us a lot longer because they did some of the initial transcriptions or betty and hit them working on that because by that time she had become the archivist and um uh, you know, and then we would go back and look at it from with the original and so on. But I mean, they did a tremendous amount of work too. So, you know, we just kept plugging away. And uh, of course, line three A and B are not as difficult because they were just longer documents and uh, they were everything together. Yeah, they didn't need the kind of footnoting that the letters did. Journals and meditations. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even those are, to me, so insightful uh, because, you know, I, I mean, I think some people have this idea that <coughs> she was just kind of going along in life and she became a Catholic and then all of a sudden hit, she had this wonderful spirituality. And I'm just like, no, right. <laughs> she had this wonderful spirituality before yeah. she ever became a Catholic. I mean, you know, and to, to really appreciate that. And uh, so, you know, it involved a lot of research to do all that. And Kathy Flanagan is a wonderful researcher. And uh, Vivian, her, she has a PhD in French. So she would do like the translation and stuff. And so much of it's still written in French. I mean, yeah. Mount St. Mary's, they have letters between her and Father Lois yeah. that have never been transcribed at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you have translated. a student, or translated, you have students that major in French. Have them do it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's, um, yeah, it's too bad that 
people that like Mount St. Mary's that have archives like that, that they don't use it as a teaching for the kids. I mean, when I was in college, which, you know, we just, I don't think I really learned how to do original research, you know, even though I was a history major, you know, we wrote, wrote term papers and all those kind of things, but we didn't ever have a, a way or a requirement to do, you know, to be in an archives and really handle archival material. Even when I got my master's, um, you know, you just didn't have access to that type of thing. And uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, really it was when I started working in our own community archives to do the history of our community that I have done. And then also um, this mother's and the Elizabeth Seton stuff that I just, it was like, this is the only way to do research, you know, is with, if you can't, you know, you can't go to Europe and find, you know, find all that stuff. But I mean, in this case, to just have access to the original materials, because just seeing the material, just handling it, makes you feel closer to it than reading it in, in a book. <clears throat> so, did you ever have like some sort of transformation though for yourself that you felt that Elizabeth was almost responsible for after you well, going through her work? Um, I don't know. I guess I just felt like <laughs> I don't think I had a big uh, revelation <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that, but. I just I felt like um, I, I just got to know her better and better and that there was like a connection between us and um, that I really appreciated her spirituality, which I feel like has informed the way I've developed myself. And um, I just, I guess I prayed to her a lot, just more spontaneously, you know, just like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> just as an inspiration. I mean, the other day I was thinking about something and I thought, you know, Elizabeth just had such a wonderful way of being welcoming to just about everybody. I thought, I wish I could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you're just, when I get uh, upset or angry and I think, mm, you know, I would, you know, she would be. She had plenty of things to be upset about in her life. And not that she didn't get upset, but, you know, she kind of was able to work through it. Or even, you know, her friendships. I mean, I just think it's so beautiful. Um, I mean, like you were saying about the article. I mean, I think her friendship with Julia Scott is just yeah. fantastic as an example of true friendship. And I think, I try to explain, you know, when I give talks and everything, but unless you have the quotes, it's hard to just show the, the back and forth between those two. It's like, they're just like sisters, you know, like, why didn't you write more? You have a sore thumb, you know, <laughs> did your pen run out of ink? What's wrong with you? You know, or you didn't fill up the whole page. Uh, you, there was still room on the paper. You could have written more. I mean, you know, just think, it's just such a comfort level between them and also the fact that even though they went their separate ways in terms of religion and uh, things that that didn't make a bit of difference to them. Um, 
trying to remember that about even today. I mean, you have your own family members sometimes that don't see the things the same way that you do in life, and you go, okay, <laughs> you know, we can do this. Well, I think because um, I was doing research with Julia Scott for a future podcast, everybody gets hung up on when Julia Scott came here to get Rebecca, and she only stays for an hour. Everybody said, oh, I wonder if that was a, you know, a break in their friendship or whatever. But I think when you write as much as they were writing, you didn't need, you don't need to see each other in person. You know, I write really long letters to two of my nieces, like 20 page letters. Right. So when they come, they're they go Michigan. When they come, it's not like we need to sit and talk for hours. I already know what's going on yeah. in my life. So Well and I think also I I can't imagine what the roads were like to get here in those days and how long it took. And it's just like that was, in a sense, a, an obstacle. I mean, it's like, well, okay, the reason I came doesn't exist. Now i got to get back, you know, and I can't. <clears throat> I don't think it had anything yeah. to do with the abruption in their relationship, for sure. And like you said, the quotes are so beautiful between the two of them. I mean, my favorite is, I think it was after her husband died, when she said, peace is here with me. It's where you'll find the attention and affection of a friend. And I just... It's just so kind. Like, come and stay with me. I'll make sure you're... Yeah, you're I mean, it's like, come and stay with me. And Elizabeth says, no. We'll send Anna. I'll, I'll raise Anna. No. So then she sends money continually for Anna, you know, to um, be able to have the things that Elizabeth couldn't afford. I mean, I just think it's just such a... Um, testimony of real longevity of a relationship. I mean, because they were friends from the mid-1790s until Elizabeth's death. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast on with Sister Judy Metz. Um, she, as you can tell, really enjoyed and loved Elizabeth. Um, I did want to quote one quote from her from the article. And she said, for Elizabeth, who did not have the benefit of a mother's tender love, her close friends created a network of people who offered her physical, physiological, and spiritual support. Each of her friendships was unique and had a special place in her life. So hopefully you'll learn over the next few um, podcasts that we do how Elizabeth was with her friends and how much they meant to her. Hello listeners, our friends and followers. Please stay tuned after this episode for a very special call of prayer for a very special little girl. We will be reciting St. Elizabeth and Satan of the Prayer. Thank you. Okay. Alrighty. Hi, Sister Pat. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us. Um, so we brought Sister Pat back on because we would like to do a special shout out a call of prayer for her very special friend, Lily. Mm -hmm. Lily is a special nine-year-old girl right now, and I'm going to let Sister Pat tell her story, but I just wanted to let you know, we do have ways where you can follow her. Um, she is on Facebook called Love for Lily. Love for there is a GoFundMe page that is Lily the, fight, the Fierce Fighter. Mm -hmm. Lily Strong Fierce Fighter. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and 
So Pat, Sister Pat had a very close relationship with this girl. Yeah. So um, why my, don't you tell us your story? Well, my niece worked with her mother before they got married. And both of them have two boys and a girl. And uh, Lily, her name's Lily Bowen. She lives in DeWitt, Michigan. And she has had neuroblastoma two times. So she's on her third time. She beat it twice um, since she was three years old. And they didn't give her much chance of living when they first found out. But she survived. So uh, we pray for her every day. And I have her on my Facebook page. And a lot of people think she's my niece. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, she's a sweet little girl. Yeah. So you um you were just showing us some pictures of yeah. her. Yeah. So she just turned nine, she right? She just turned nine couples ago. Yeah. yeah. So where where is she now? Like she, what's going on in her life? Well, right now? she's still in Michigan. She goes back and forth for transfusions and for treatments because she's in an experimental um treatment down in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. She's going there I think the end of the month. Yeah. To, I, I um, mean, this is not a normal life for her. Oh, no. Um, and it's hard on their family. You know, we got two boys. They're healthy, and, and mom is with Lily a lot. Yeah. And uh, so I'm sure it's hard. Mm-hmm. And do they know the Sisters of Charity of Cincinnati? You know, they have a close relationship yeah. with everybody? Yeah. 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 So. Okay. We're praying the mother seat for her. She's got a mother seat in relic and we're praying for her every day. So um there is the common novena prayer. Is this the same prayer that same you guys prayer. do? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is available here at the Seton Shrine. Um, it's also available online. So if you look for, you know, Saint Elizabeth and Seton Novena Prayer, um, you can get those words here. But so we would like everybody to join us as we pray for Lily. Um, so if you don't mind leading us in prayer. Okay, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. O God, our Father, glorified here upon earth, your servants, Saint Elizabeth and Satan, thy manifesting the power of our intercession, through the favors we now implore, that they will find a cure for the noise and all blessing. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.